You're listening to KUOW. I'm David Hyde, and this is our District 1 City Council debate. District 1 covers West Seattle, Delridge, and South Park. Shannon Braddock is Chief of Staff for King County Council Member Joe McDermott. Shannon Braddock, thank you so much for being here. You bet. Thanks for having me. And Lisa Herbold is a longtime legislative aide to City Council Member Nick Licata. Lisa Herbold, thank you for being here. Thanks for inviting us both on. So let's start with you, Lisa. How did you come to Seattle? I moved here in 1992, so 23 years ago, to open up an office uh, for the Association of Community Organizations for Reform Now, otherwise known as ACORN. Uh, moved here with a bunch of friends from college. and um, have been Where from? From Syracuse, New York. From New York. Yes. And Shannon, how about you? Uh, I grew up in Bellingham, so I grew up in the Northwest, spent some time in Washington, D.C., and in Austin, Texas, and then moved back to Seattle about 17 years ago, 18 years ago. All right. So that's the, that's the getting to know you part of this, but um, more, more to come, hopefully. Lisa Herbold, um, I want to get a sense of where you place yourself in Seattle politics right now. Um, some people on the city council think the city needs to move further to the left and faster, Others, not so much. Other voters perhaps think it's moving too fast. Where would you place yourself in the Seattle political spectrum? So I don't really like to think of it as left or right. I think it's uh, more accurate to talk about trying to move our city towards being a more fair place to our workforce. Well, let's just say on something specific like affordable housing, rent control, Mm -hmm. some of these kinds of issues, there's obviously left and right positions. Mm -hmm. So let me put the question another way. Who wants to move the city further to the left faster, you or your opponent, Shannon Braddock? So I want to move towards more affordable housing that will be paid for by developers uh, contributing developer impact fees. Um, I believe that developers need to be paying their fair share. Um, I also want to look at passing rent regulations that can help stem the displacement of renters from their existing housing. Studies show that with every 10% of rent increases in a city, we have an increase of 15% of homelessness. So it sounds like the answer might be you. If you want to put it on a right-left <laughs> spectrum, I leave it to the audience to make that decision. Shannon Braddock, same question. Who wants to move Seattle further to the left faster, you or your opponent, uh, Lisa Herbold? I'm with my opponent here where I think we're all pretty left in Seattle. And right. uh, it really is more about the issues and how we move forward on those issues. So I will say I come from a legislative body, the King County Council, that is not all left. I work for Joe McDermott, who is uh, the budget chair there and represents District 8 for King County. And he is certainly very far left and progressive. Um, by our King County standards in particular. And so I am very interested in finding ways we can partner. I think Seattle does a lot of really great work, but we need to partner with other municipalities as well to get even more done. But certainly on tenant protections and affordable housing, and I think we are all eager to step up and have progress in those areas. Well, let's get into some of the issues, Shannon Braddock. One of the big issues, of course, is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And we've got something called the grand bargain. Mm -hmm. And basically, without getting into all the details, uh, developers get something more units, Mm -hmm. and they have to give something up, which is affordable housing. And some people say the task force didn't go far enough Mm -hmm. in pressing developers. What do you think? 
Uh, I'm actually, well, I, obviously I wasn't in the room, so I can't say how those conversations went, but I'm very pleased with the recommendations that the Hala committee came forward with. I, the so-called grand bargain, uh, given that Mike O'Brien was the, council member Mike O'Brien was the lead on the linkage fee issue, the fact that he's comfortable with where they are on that bargain makes me very comfortable. I think that's a big part of the legislative process is getting all those stakeholders in a room, figuring out where you all compromise and collaborate and move forward. And I think they did good work there. And now, of course, it's up to the city council to actually move that work forward through legislation. Lisa Herbold, same question. Some say the mayor's affordable housing recommendations on the task force didn't go far enough. What do you think? Um, One thing I did like a lot was that the affordability of the units that will be uh, set aside is deeper than what the council had considered last year. So we're looking at affordability levels um, for folks who are earning 60% of area median income, which is fantastic. That's where the need is. But I do feel that we need to increase the percentage of units of housing um, that is required in the developments. And when you have the Seattle Times saying that we should be looking at other cities and looking at their percentages when we're talking about 10% and higher, that um, we may have left some, some money on the table in our eagerness to move forward with this historic bargain with developers to require them to Uh, devote some of their resources to affordable housing. I understand the eagerness to get there, but, um, you know, I I think it's something that has to be done right. And we have to make sure that given the fact that these are uh, regulations that won't be in place for uh, several years now, we have to get it right. Shannon Braddock, the city needs to ask developers to do more to solve affordable housing. Mm -hmm. I, yes, I agree with that. I think I think we're seeing that in the grand bargain, and I think we're seeing that with the move toward asking for impact fees as well. I know the city's working on some studies related to impact fees now, and I think virtually every city council candidate has said that they support impact fees from developers, which would, with new development, would provide some infrastructure work. So I absolutely see us moving forward with having developers step up more. Lisa Herbold, on the other side, developers say, look, we need more units. We need more housing. It's a question of supply and demand in part. What do you think? What do you think needs to be done? So a supply side only solution has never worked in any housing market in the history of housing. Um, By simply adding supply, affordability doesn't miraculously trickle down to where the need is. But what should or is is there any connection? It needs to be a combination of adding supply regulations to require developers to pay their fair share, as well as better laws for tenants. I think a three-pronged strategy that looks at each of those things, adding supply, more affordability within that supply specifically, better protections for tenants, and also addressing um, the the need to preserve what we have. If in the effort to add supply, we are tearing down existing affordable housing, in the first six months of 2015 alone, we removed, um, or we had in the pipeline, I should say, 2,500 units of housing for demolition. So if we're taking down our existing housing as quickly as we're building it, um, the question is, are we getting anywhere? Uh, Shannon Braddock, where do you two disagree on the question of supply and demand when it comes to solving the affordable housing crisis here in Seattle? Uh, well, I, I guess f- for me, it's I, I agree that it is not just about supply, and it's not. You know, I, I don't think the market will by itself take care of this. I think obviously this is a place where government has to step in. Our city government and our local government has to step in. 
Um, I, I guess what I would say is where we differ is when we're talking about the hollow recommendations, for example. I, I do trust that that process that the committee went through what wasn't just bargaining with the developers, but it was bargaining with everyone in that room, which was, you know, neighborhood activists and social justice organizations. There were people in the room that were not just developers. So I feel that we need to respect a lot of the work that they did as we're moving forward with legislation. Lisa Herbold, do you disagree with that? I think we can respect the work that they've they've done, but realize that this is a body of work made up of 62 recommendations, and we have a legislative process. Um, And the legislative process is not to rubber stamp um, the recommendations that come from an advisory committee. And so as part of that legislative process, we need to hear from other stakeholders who weren't in that room. Um, I think we can do so while also maintaining the spirit of, of of the agreement, but also understanding that the um, the council needs to legislate and address issues that were not addressed in that room. The other controversial issue that comes out of that report from the mayor's task force is that two-thirds of the city right now is single-family zoning. Um, that includes much of District 1. What do you think needs to be done there that's not being done now, if anything? Well, I'm very supportive of the effort to look at um, liberalizing the uh, availability of um, ADUs and, uh, sorry, accessory dwelling units and detached accessory dwelling units in existing single-family neighborhoods. But that is very different than uh, what some people have described as flexibility of single-family neighborhoods, which is actually not flexibility. It would be changing single-family neighborhood zoning to uh, more of a a low-capacity um, zoning that would allow for the development of um, triplexes and some row houses. And I feel that we can't do that because the impacts, again, as I mentioned before, on existing affordable housing would be too great. Um, there are 35,000 single-family homes that are homes to renters, and those are largely renter families. And we already know that we do not have enough um, rental housing on the market that is available to families. So once again, if we are incentivizing um, redevelopment of existing areas, we really have to have a preservation strategy in place. Shannon Braddock, what do you think? I think the bottom line is the outcome we're looking for when we talk about uh, any changes to our single-family zoning needs to be something that doesn't just benefit a developer, but benefits the residents, the renters, the homeowners in that area, so that it's about our community. So uh, this is where I think having a district council member is really valuable, because what I would like to see is more of our community buy-in on this process moving forward. Again, as legislation moves forward, I think it's going to be really important that we have somebody who can help facilitate with our neighborhoods an understanding of what is happening how to communicate concerns, how to provide information, where people can actually weigh in on the legislation as it moves forward. I also um, am supportive of the accessory dwelling unit and detached accessory dwelling unit language because I think it's uh, valuable for a lot of families. Our community is one where you have generations of families living there. And of course, we all know that there are a lot of people who have kids who move back home and perhaps a mother-in-law can keep families together and provide some mortgage relief. You know, I think there are some different ways we can approach that particular issue. This is KUOW's District 1 City Council debate. District 1 covers West Seattle, among other places. Shannon Braddock is Chief of Staff for King County Council Member Joe McDermott. And Lisa Herbold is Legislative Aide to Seattle City Council Member Nick Licata. Um, Shannon Braddock, let's stick with you for a minute on the question of transportation. 
Uh, Seattle voters have a big transportation package to think about this year, the $930 million Move Seattle levy that's on the ballot. What are your thoughts? Uh, I support the Move Seattle levy. Uh, I'm a big proponent of improving our transit and our transportation systems, and the reality is we are way behind. And so I support putting money into that infrastructure. That said... The concerns that I am hearing most of all are concerns about accountability, that our people are not trusting the city and the Department of Transportation to manage these projects in the way that they should or to follow through on the projects they say they're going to complete. So, again, as a district city council member, should I be elected to be the District 1 council member, I would feel very accountable to the residents of District 1 to hold feet to the fire and be sure that if the Move Seattle levy passes, that they follow through on the commitments they have made about the projects they plan to complete for our district and for the city as a whole. Lisa Herbold, the Move Seattle levy, what do you think? So the concerns I'm hearing from folks um, are a little different than uh, simply accountability issues. People are concerned about the size of the levy. Um, People you know, this is it, it feeds into the issues of affordability, whether or not you're talking about um, homeowners on fixed incomes who are concerned about the size of the property taxes or renters who understand that um, increased property taxes get pay, passed on to them in the form of, of rent. I am going to vote for the move levy, but I was um, an early critic of the decision to have it be fully a property tax levy, and I thought that we should have used the same model that was used under the Bridging the Gap levy, which was a combination of property taxes, um, employee head tax, and the commercial parking tax. I also thought that we should have made a commitment this year to um, include at least uh, $20 million a year for developer impact fees in as, as part of the, uh, the funding mechanism for the projects associated with the levy um, and really been able to go out to voters with the message that this is a, um, a partnership with um, the folks who are benefiting from the prosperity of our region and making sure that folks understood when they were going to, to vote for this that this was not going to be something that was going to be borne purely by the taxpayer. So you're concerned about property taxes being a little bit too high, especially for folks who are on fixed incomes. Is this a read my lips, no new property taxes moment? You're going to vote for it. So what are you saying? I'm going to vote for it. But I think we need to, again, we need to address the regressiveness of our tax system, both at the state legislature, but also locally, every single chance that we have. And and we missed a chance. Shannon Braddock, are Seattleites overtaxed when it comes to property? Oh, I think we absolutely, having to go to levies every time we want to do work that our residents ask us to do, it, it, it is getting to be a little much, I would say. And so I think we're definitely seeing a push from this city and from other municipalities to try to get a more progressive, more progressive options from the state. I think we will, uh, when it comes to developer impact fees, I will definitely be uh, pushing those on top of whatever, if the Move Seattle levy passes, I would still also support developer impact fees because we are $930 million unfortunately doesn't even cover how far behind we are already. We can't rewind the clock to get our money back from Atlanta that we lost in the what late 60s or early 70s. And it's it's taking us a while to catch up. And I'm really excited about the possibility of light rail and the ST3 package coming to West Seattle and to Ballard. And I think that transit and transportation access is an equity and a social justice issue as well. We need people to have those options available to them, have options to live and work in their in the in the same 
city have ways to get where they need to go, whether it's to families or work or doctor's appointments, more easily than to just get into their car. Because in this city, we, we get very congested, and particularly in our district. We are very geographically bound, and uh, I think it's really incumbent on us to invest in that infrastructure, do it in a very accountable and efficient and smart way. Lisa Herbold, what about the district? Would the Move Seattle levy do enough for West Seattle? As far as the uh, distribution of projects, um, I think that, um, again, it would have been better for the um, the, for there to be more of a mechanism, I think, for um, us to look at some some things like sidewalk improvements to have an, an actual idea of how much was going to be invested in each district. So those are some of those those detail oriented questions um, are kind of up in the air. But I do know that um, there are projects that have been on West Seattle's um, list for a very long time, like the Lander Street overpass. I think that um, getting a Rapid ride um, corridor uh, for the 120 would be really fantastic. It would add to um, the ability of more people to take the bus, and more people taking the bus means that there are fewer cars on the on the street, and so that people who have to drive um, have less congestion to deal with. Um, again, there's th- the backlog is huge, and I don't know that we could. Um, create a package that would do enough for District 1. Um, And again, this is why I really believe strongly we need to bring other resources to the table. Shannon Braddock, on that question, or sort of a follow-up to that question, I guess, on transportation, do we as citizens, do you as lawmakers have enough oversight over projects, transit projects in this city, in this county, in this state currently to know that our tax dollars are being well spent? Uh, I do think very often elected officials end up finding out about issues related to projects a little late in the process. So again, uh, as a district council member, one of the things I would look to would be to have more accountability from the Department of Transportation or whomever was managing the specific projects by you know calling them before committees, really having them be very transparent about where the project is, what is happening, are they behind, are they on schedule, what are some options in front of us if they are having issues. Whenever you have really big capital projects, they're going to be some glitches. There's no question. But I do think it's when we're using public dollars to do this infrastructure work, we have got to be accountable and transparent about where those dollars are going. So as a district council member, I think it's a great opportunity to stand up and say, hey, here are the things that these projects are for our district that you had promised us, SDOT, in this Move Seattle levy. How are you moving forward with those? What does it look like? How's the outcome of the budget? Um, and are we going to get what we need to get out of those? Lisa Herbold, how confident should voters be that this $930 million is being spent the right way? Well, again, I think the district system of uh, governance that we're moving towards will result in more accountability. Um, when you have the voters in a district making decisions about who is going to represent them in the district, when those decisions aren't being made on their behalf, um, hopefully that will um, that will make a change in and result in better representation. So um, as far as I think the confidence that voters will have that um, these dollars are spent well, I think it really ties into the, the confidence that voters have in, in their representation. 
Shannon Braddock, you promised voters that you're going to fight to get light rail to the district. Why do you think you're better qualified to do that than your opponent? Well, I have uh, at the King County Council, of course, we work with 39 cities within our jurisdiction and have to do a whole lot of work partnering with the state, with the city, uh, and with, with the city of Seattle and with a variety of other cities. And I have a lot of experience there working with folks uh, across the aisle, the understanding of how we can really get things done with people who we don't agree with all the time, bringing them to the table. I have uh, the support and endorsement of the current chair of the Sound Transit Board, Dow Constantine. And I feel very comfortable that I am a, have been a transit and transportation advocate for some time and the experience at the King County Council working both with Metro, with Sound Transit gives me a body of knowledge that is valuable moving forward. Lisa Herbold, you also have experience. What's your response? So my response is I think I come to this race with a set of skills that make me uh, very qualified to represent our district because I know both how to work with folks um, both inside and outside of city government working to bring people together who don't always have the ear of City Hall to make sure that their voices are heard. My background as a community organizer for eight years before working for Councilmember Lakata has been really focused on bringing together people to raise their collective voices to make sure that government is redressing their issues. And that, you know, in a, when you're doing community organizing, it can be a whole range of issues. Um, but those skills are applicable to the issues that are challenging our city today, including transportation. And you've worked for Nick Licata for many years, so I might know the answer to this question, but I'm not sure. Who are your role models on the current city council and why? So, um, Obviously, uh, Nick has been a mentor of mine for many, many years, Um, but I'm also very um, excited to work, hopefully, as the District 1 council member with Council Member Michael Bryan. Um, I think he's a fantastic council member. He um, both understands the issues associated with growth, but he uh, approaches every issue with a, a really strong social justice lens and really understands what the impacts of development can be on fragile communities that um, really need greater attention to make sure that there's not a disparate impact that results in further displacement and further um, uh, sort of disruption of those communities. Shannon Braddock, same question. Who are your role models? Let's say top two. Um, Lisa mentioned Nick Licata and Mr. O'Brien. How about you? On the Seattle City Council? Yep. Gosh, I hate narrowing these things down because there are things about each council member I think that we can all We love all our children. We uh, we love all our children. (laughs) Uh, No, I think there are things we can look to in in everyone that we find things that we respect in them um, and work that they're doing. I mean, I really appreciate the work that council member Godden has done on gender pay equity issues. I think that's a big deal and we needed people to be calling attention to that issue. So I think that's an important thing that I appreciate. And council member Tom Rasmussen has been a really big advocate for our district. He lives in West Seattle. And he's been very engaged with the senior community there, uh, working with senior centers to make sure they have culturally competent uh, programs and activities for folks. And I think he's provided a very good example of ways to engage with the community. Um, And so there are, again, a lot of folks. um, Again, I admire Councilmember O'Brien as well for a lot of the work that he's done and the attention he has drawn to specific issues. But I can find things to agree and disagree with uh, on stands and principles. With What's the main difference between how you and your opponent would operate were you to be elected to the city council? Uh, 
well, and we've never worked together, actually, which is an interesting because you don't have much as good a sense. But for me, it's I believe it's that coming from bringing a fresh perspective to the city. I've never worked at the city before. I've been in county government and state government and federal government before, but never at the city. I believe I bring a fresh perspective there and I bring a regional perspective because, again, at the county, we have to look at things from a, a pretty broad scope and we have a leaner revenue picture as well. And so we really do a lot of work um, looking at making sure we're using our dollars as efficiently as we possibly can because we don't have the revenue options in front of us that the city has. So uh, bringing that work style and that ability to work with, again, other people who, you know, on the King County Council, we have actual Republicans. And so we have to sit down in a room together and pass these budgets and get our work done. And we managed to do that. And I've staffed Councilmember McDermott for the past three years as he's been budget chair. We've passed unanimous budgets. And I feel that I have a very good sense of how to make sure we've got the outcomes and the goals on the table and figuring out the best ways we can get to the path that we're all looking for successfully. Lisa Herbold, same question. How do you think you would differ from your opponent when it comes to just how you would operate on the Mm -hmm. city council? So I think my focus is very... um, very sharp on issues that are really challenging our city right now. I'm really focused on issues of income inequality. The city is becoming uh, more and more unaffordable. Ten years ago, we had 50% of our workforce living in the city. Now we have 40% of our workforce living in the city. These are issues that affect people from elderly homeowners on fixed incomes, to um, families who are doing okay but that are concerned that their children, when they graduate from college, aren't going to be able to afford to live in the city, uh, to renter families. So um, that's really um, the thing that I'm super focused about. It's what I'm hearing people are concerned about in my district. Um, I've been door knocking since March, and a wide variety of people are concerned about the affordability of, of of our city. And I'm not only am I focused on those issues, I'm, I'm going to lead on the issues. I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a status quo politician. Um, you know, it, again, it's not left or right for me, but it's what it means to be a true progressive. And what it means to be a true progressive is to challenge the way things are. And I've worked on really, really hard issues on the city council um, with landlords and tenants to um, bring us the rental housing inspection program that makes um, rental housing safer. Um, and we got we had to work with, with landlords in this, in this city. We had to go to Olympia for two sessions in a row to get this explicit authority to do so. I've worked with employers to pass the city's historic um, paid sick and safe leave ordinance. There were 190,000 workers in the city in 2011 who had no access to paid leave. That's three Days, uh, three days sick equals about a week's worth of groceries for an average family. <clears throat> so these are things that really affect people's day-to-day lives, and these are the issues that I'm going to take leadership just a, on. Just a few minutes left, but I wanted to kind of get to this fun question at the end, which is if you could go back in time or in the present, any person in all of human history, basically, who's a political idol of yours, who would it be? Um, so I have uh, Margaret Mead's quote on my desk, and I have had um, Margaret Mead's quote on my desk for 25 years, as long as I've been doing this work trying to create positive political change. And it is um, never doubt that a small group of committed individuals can make positive change in the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Shannon Braddock, same question. Uh, well, I have become a big fan of, of 
Ann Richards, actually, uh, who's passed away. But she was somebody who, in an environment where it was very hard to be a progressive and a good Democrat, was a progressive and a good Democrat. And I really admire that. I have a lot of family in Texas. And so uh, I've always appreciated Ann Richards and her daughter now in the work she's doing, Cecile Richards with Planned Parenthood. Uh, I'm a big advocate of women's rights and women's access to health care. And I think that those are two women that have really done a good job standing up for that. All right. Shannon Braddock, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. She's Chief of Staff for King County Council Member Joe McDermott. And Lisa Herbold, thank you to you. Thanks, David. She's longtime legislative aide to Seattle City Council Member Nick Licata. You are listening to KUOW's District 1 City Council debate. This is KUOW. I'm David Hyde. Thanks for listening.